so blessed here at Bersheba in so many ways. Uh, but our music ministry is definitely one of those ways. And I'm, I'm so thankful um, to you, Philip, and your leadership, Jackson and Linda, for all those guys in the back. Matt and Jason are back there today, but we have a whole crew. Becca was up here today. We have a whole crew of praise team singers, and uh, we're blessed. We're very, very blessed, and I'm just so thankful um, for them and their leadership and leading us into worship and preparing our hearts to hear from the Lord's Word. Today we're in the book of Job, chapter 42, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Today's message is entitled, Healing from the Hurts of Life. And see, uh, life's a series of mountains, mountaintops, and valleys, right? We had the fun things like getting to celebrate last night like we did about an engagement. And we had the fun surprises where a friend from California shows up. Uh, we've, we've got all these different High points in life, but then we got the low points in life that, that balance it out. And, um, you know, what do we do with the, in the aftermath? I don't know that we have to really recover from high points. I mean, we just look back on them and we're excited. We have great memories. But, but these low points affect us sometimes in life that, that if we don't deal with these tragedies, these heartaches, um, whatever you want to call them, these valleys in our life, if we don't deal with them and we just kind of stay wounded, a festering wound, or, or we just stay scarred so badly from these things, we don't end up really being all that what God wants us to be, enjoying the fullness of his plan for us. And so this idea of healing from the hurts in life is so important. And who better to learn from than Job? Because if anybody knew about the hurts of life, financially, relationally, family, physically, emotionally, I mean, everything, including when he had lost it all, his friend showed up, giving him wonderful, constructive criticism for days and days upon end. And so I think we can learn a great deal today from Job and, and the end of his story about how we can heal from the hurts of life because we've all got them. And so I'm going to ask if you're physically able, would you stand uh, in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word at this time? Job chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. Then, the, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything. And that no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I'd only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. After the Lord finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. 
My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nathamite did as the Lord commanded them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima, and the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapok. And in all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. And their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. Let's pray. God, I don't know that any of us want to argue bragging rights with Job for suffering. But we all understand Job at least a little. Because all of us, to some degree, have suffered in life. All of us have had heartache and heartbreak. And Lord, we know that you do not intend that to be the final word in our life. You do not intend for our lives to be colored by darkness and surrounded by clouds. But yet, God, you have victory you have peace, you have joy for us. And I pray that today that each of us will learn, Father, how we may through your power and through believing your truth that we can be set free, that we can heal from the hurts of life we face. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So there are four things in this passage, four acts of obedience that will help us to heal and move forward in life past these hurts we have. The first one begins with acknowledging God's control in your life, simply acknowledging God's control. Verse 1, we go back there and it says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. Many times in life, we have to align ourselves with God's truth and get ourselves in the right frame of mind, the right thinking before we can move forward. And one of the things we have to come to grips with is that God is in control of all things. Some things he directly causes, other things he allows, but he's in control over all of it. There is not a minute that God is out of control. And so what that means is not only was God in control in your best moments, he was also in control in your worst moments. Now, that's hard for some people to comprehend and accept. There are some people that kind of want to give God an out, an excuse. 
Like, well, I know, I know God wouldn't have had that happen to me, um, and, but they don't realize they're compromising God's power. They're saying, oh, poor little God, he couldn't quite handle that situation, and I guess that was beyond him to rescue me from that or to keep me from going through that. And so they think they're saving God's reputation, but they're actually damaging it by taking away from his power and his control. God is sovereign. God is over this whole earth. And we have to come to grips with the fact that everything that happens, God allows. God causes some, he allows the rest, but none of it's out of his control. And that can be hard sometimes because we think, I hurt. And if God's in control, why did he let me hurt? Even harder a lot of times is, why did he let my child hurt? Why did, why did he let my wife hurt? Why? Why? Did, why? And we have these questions about, God, if you're in control and, and your word says you're good, and we have to come to this point that we have to admit and say, God, I don't get it, but this one thing I do get, you're in control. See, in the book of Job, do you know that nowhere in the story does it ever say, and God sent a little angel down with a messenger to clear everything up for Job and let him know what was going on and let him know that this was Satan's plan to harm him. No, no, no. Job was just as clueless as you and I are when we are going through hardships of life. When we get that call from the doctor, when we get that officer of the law show up at the door, when we hear those hurtful words from someone we love, and we are blown away because we never saw it coming. Job was just the same way. He might have been an amazing man of God, but he wasn't God. He wasn't psychic. He didn't know, have all the answers. And that's part of learning to heal from life is that we quit making excuses for ourselves or for God. And we just say, you know what? I don't get it all. I don't understand the reason that went into the suffering and pain that I went through either directly or often in oftentimes even worse when it's someone we love and we're watching them suffer. And we have to simply say, God, I know you're in control. You've got this. He's in control of all things. I love I heard uh, Bodie Bauckham preach on this once. He said, you know what? Even the devil is God's devil. I never thought about that before, but that's true. The devil is God's devil. What I mean by that is he was a created being. See, it's not like in the popular imagination where there's forces of good and equal forces of bad and yin and yang. No, 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 no. There is one all-powerful being in this universe who was not created, and that is God. And everything else, whether it be angels or demons or people or creatures, we're all created beings. And God is over all of us. Now, we could get all day into this tricky thing called choice and freedom and, and, and how, you know, God has allowed that for our good, but it also allows the possibility of lots of bad and lots of evil in this world. But God is in control. We have to get to that place and acknowledge God's control. Second, we have to confess and repent of our wrongs. You know, it's interesting here. With Job, 
we often have um, this idea that Job never did anything wrong. Now, the reason is because we get to a point, I think it's in chapter 2 or maybe chapter 3, but there's a verse that said, in all of this, you know, talking about when he was losing his cattle and his houses and his children and everything, in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Okay, that's pretty amazing. Because I'm pretty sure most of us would be saying some sinful things if all that happened to us, right? We, we probably would not have been so saintly as Job was. But you know what? It never said that Job was perfect or that Job never did any wrong. In fact, Job illustrates a, a truth for me that some of the, the time when it's hardest for me to confess and, and repent is when I've been wronged, and, and someone did a much bigger wrong to me, and maybe I kind of did a little bit of a wrong, or at least in my mind, that's how I'm seeing it. It's just, well, they did this blah, 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 big thing first to me, and so my response, of course, was natural. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was, and, and see, because Job here, he didn't start to pick a fight with the devil. <laughs> he was minding his own business. He was doing what he needed to do, serving God, worshiping God, being generous and kind to people, praising God. He was doing all the good stuff. And all of a sudden, this stuff happens out of the blue. And boom, he's lost it all. <laughs> and then his friends, his so-called friends, show up. And they are very pious, and they have... Lots of theories about why that Job is really a big, bad sinner. And, and they spend day upon day saying, now we love you, Job, and we care about you. So would you just go ahead and admit what you've done wrong? Would you just fess up that you are a sinner and, you know, God will. And, but see, he hadn't done these things that they were assuming that he must have done. But here's what Job did do. Job had some, he started just talking. And what, is, what does James say about our words, our tongue? It says that, that it is uncontrollable like a fire. It says this little tiny tongue we've got in our body can steer the whole ship. It could take its place. And, and Job ended up, he never did curse God. He, he never did go out and blaspheme God. But what he did do, he started just talking out of his head. <laughs> he started saying some things that he shouldn't have said. Were they as bad as what his friends said? No, they weren't. God said, I'm really mad at your friends because they've said all kinds of things about me and my character that's wrong. But, but Job did do something. And may, maybe y'all are a lot better than me. But I'm just telling you, when I'm in a situation and other people are this much in the wrong and then I'm this much in the wrong, I kind of feel like I'm not in the wrong at all. Because comparatively, they're the bad guys, right? I'm the good guy. I've been hurt. And one of the hardest things in life and one of the things that really can show our emotional and our spiritual maturity is when we learn to say, you know what, God, they said a really hurtful thing to me, and maybe I said some things back, and, you know, maybe three-fourths of what they said was wrong, but you know what really hurt was that one part of it that was actually kind of right, um, that, that kind of hit close to home. Or, God, maybe I didn't expect this, and I know, I know that you weren't doing this to punish me, but I do admit, you know, 
that I'm wrong here. What about the idea um, in society today in, in divorce? You know, we go through that. Isn't it interesting? We have a, uh, a common conception of the guilty party and the innocent party. And what's funny, we think that that's, that that's our idea to somehow judge that, you know, and not God's, God's idea. But, you know, I, I don't really believe that God has a list up in heaven of, well, he's the guilty one, she's the innocent one, or vice versa. The reality is marriage is two imperfect human beings that are coming together. And you never see anywhere in the Bible where it says this guilty party, innocent party. And so, you know, one of the things that, uh, that is interesting is that nobody, whether you divorced or whether you stayed together for 60 years, all of us are the guilty party. All of us are less than perfect when it comes to loving, honoring, and cherishing each other every moment of every day. We do our best. And if we understand that, Instead of always defending ourselves and always saying, I'm the good guy, I'm the good guy, I'm the good guy. And simply be able to say, God, I want to come to you about my own things and I want to confess and, and repent. And those two are confess is admitting something. It is saying it out loud. It's saying what God says. That's why the Bible says to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay, that doesn't mean that, ooh, here's a really bad thing. I have to confess Jesus is Lord. No, confessing that Jesus is Lord means that you are proclaiming. You are admitting. You are saying out loud, Jesus is Lord. So we confess our sins. We agree with God. God, this is sin. And repenting is about the heart change. It's about not only do I acknowledge, yes, this is sin. Repenting is like, and I don't want to sin anymore. Repenting is I'm turning away from that. My heart direction is changing, and therefore my actions are going to follow. My intention is that I don't want to be in love with that sin anymore. God, I want to right now go your path. And Job, rather than saying, God, but they were so much worse. Why am I repenting? Why am I confessing? He repented in dust and ashes, which was in the way in that day that they're like, I'm for real, God. (laughs) This is it. So we acknowledge God's control. We confess and repent of our wrongs. Then the third thing, if we're going to move forward and heal in the hurts of life, we need to forgive and pray for those who have wronged us. To forgive and pray for those who have wronged us. Now, this can be hard. It's going to be real, real hard because the reality is now there's, there's somebody, there's times when people hurt us, um, but you know, it's, it's over with. Like we experienced the hurt and it's in the past, okay? So let's say there was a kid named Bobby that told on me in fifth grade. And Bobby made up a false story. I'm sure it was false because I know it's a perfect angel. Okay. All right. So I got to go to the principal's office. I got a paddling. Okay. Guess what? Um, if there really was a guy named Bobby who did that, and there were similar guys, but uh, I won't tell on them. But, but if there was really, really a guy like that, it would not be hard for me to forgive Bobby. Why? Because I took my licks that were among the thousands I took as a child, and I moved on, and, and, and it's all good. But sometimes the hurts are either so deep that you're just blown away, or sometimes they are so long-lasting, okay? 
We all know that sometimes that there's people that hurt you, and that hurt, that thing they did, that decision they made, that what they said, whatever, it continues to hurt you today. It has an ongoing effect. And so the action may have been in the past, but your life is still impacted. Your life is different, and that's when it gets real. It's, it's easy to forgive Bobby, okay? But it's not so easy when something continues to affect our lives. But we see something here. There is a principle in Scripture, okay? Forgiveness and healing are tied together. Do you know that? Forgiveness and healing are tied together. It's one of the things that where Jesus, when he is explaining the Lord's Prayer, and he talks about, guess what? You better forgive so that I will forgive you. And if you don't forgive... I will not forgive you. God wants us to forgive. He wants us to be a part of the process of not only us being healed, but he wants us to be part of the process of others being healed. Do you know that God not only loved Job and wanted to see him healed and restored, but those three so-called friends, he loved them. And he wanted them to be restored. And in fact, he wanted Job's relationship with those three men to be restored. And God specifically says, now, Job, I'm going to heal you, but Job, you need to pray for your friends. And the friends came up and, and God said to them, now, guys, <laughs> I'm pretty mad at you right now. Because you've done some stuff. You've talked about me in a way that was totally wrong. You are not giving Job the right thing. But you know, when you bring your sacrifice, I want you to do it in front of Job. And Job's going to pray for you. And God was saying, you know what? Here, here's, what we, here's what we lose sometimes in Job. God not only restored the houses, the animals, the gardens, the money. God restored those friendships. Do you know that? God didn't say, okay, you three sorry suckers, you're gone, and this is forever over, and you're the bad guys and the villains in the Bible for the rest of history. No. God says, this is too valuable to let go. And so I'm going to link Job's healing and his friend's forgiveness and healing, and I'm going to put it all together so that there can be restoration. Now, let's be honest. In life, there are some times where complete reconciliation after certain situations is, is not possible. And certainly, as Paul said, you know, be at peace with all men as much as it is possible for you. And we know that, that as much as it is possible sometimes keeps us from being able to restore and reconcile relationships. But when it is possible, God has a desire for us to not only seek our own healing, but to, to forgive, to seek forgiveness, and to seek restoration and healing, not only for others, but our relationship whenever possible. And again, sometimes none of that's possible because they won't allow it. Sometimes only a part of it is possible. But God's general plan in life is that we forgive and we pray not only for our friends, but even those who harm us the worst. We should have that type of uh, desire to move forward. And remember, 
Forgiveness and healing. They are linked over and over in the Bible. So if you've got a hurt that you're holding on to, I mean, you don't mean to. It's kind of like a leech. It's grabbed on to you, or maybe you do mean to. Maybe you picked it up and you said, I'm not letting go of this. But either way, until you let that go, until you forgive, that will be a drain on your life. Finally, fourth and finally, if you're healing, you've got to move forward and embrace God's blessings. Move forward and embrace God's blessings. Here's what I mean by that. It would be easy for us to do all these one through three things. I've forgiven. It's better now. I know I've got new kids. I know I've got more stuff back again. Man, and just dwell in the past, in the pain, in the heartache, in the hurt, in the betrayal, in the I thought these would be the type of people that would answer my call at 3 in the morning, and guess what? They wouldn't answer my call at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. You know, we go through those times. And we have to say, okay, God, I'm moving forward in faith. I'm claiming your promise that you've got good things ahead for for me. Now, that doesn't mean that everything suddenly gets better. Sometimes we rightly love Jeremiah 29, 11, but we wrongly interpret it. So, so we take that verse that says, you know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to, to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we're like, yes, but guess what? You know what, that hope and future, that was that they knew that one day their descendants would finally go back to the promised land. They were stuck in exile, and God said, you're not getting out of here for 70 years. But guess what? I'm not going to just be a genie and do everything that you wish and want, but guess what? I still have good things ahead for you. And and that's why in that larger context, he told them, he said, plant gardens. He said, give your sons and daughters uh, in marriage. He said, pray for the city you live in and so that it'll prosper. Because if it'll, it'll prosper, you'll prosper. And, and by the way, that's, that's just such a, I don't know how we don't get this sometimes. You know, he didn't say, if it's the right political party, then we pray for them. <laughs> no, he, he said, these ungodly, pagan, Babylonian people who exiled you and took you away and have nothing kind for you in mind, pray for them because what blesses them will bless you because you live in it, same city, you're all in it together. And we've got to get that, whether it's our guy or our, our gal, in power or not, we need to pray for those who are leaders around, among us. And it's just common sense. God says, if you pray for your country, for your city, for your community, your state, as it's blessed, you're going to be blessed. Common sense, right? We have to learn, though, like those folks who, guess what? There were consequences they were dealing with that weren't going away. They were not going to get to go back to Jerusalem right then, but God still had good things ahead. And so maybe circumstances in life, whether of your doing or whether they're someone else's doing, maybe you realize my life circumstances have been personally and forever altered by something in the past. God is saying, guess what? There's still good ahead for you. I'm not telling you that the old days are coming back. I'm not telling you that there's a repeat of the glory days. But I'm telling you, 
Even though your life is different, even though your health or your relationships or your bank account or whatever it is is fundamentally different and will never be the same, I still have good for you, and I've got to move forward. And, and you might say, well, yeah, of course, but so many people don't. You see, there's this natural temptation to dwell in the pity party. Well, you get to kind of like in a pity party after a while, you know? And some people, they are in pity party mode their whole life. How you doing? You know, you know, always. And, and so we, we have to get into this idea where, you know, there's good stuff. I, I'm going to admit, I'd be tempted if I was Job. When it says that all his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him in his home and they consoled him and they comforted him, and I'm like, where were all these brothers and sisters and other friends before? Where were you for 40-something chapters when he was broken, heartbroken, and nothing good was going? Where in the world? I would have said, you can get on out of my house right now because you weren't showing up when it was bad. Okay, that's the fleshly, sinful Tim Lee. That's the attitude I would have. But, you know, he was gracious enough to let him come in. And they mourned together, and they cried together. And they talked together and they dreamed together. And he allowed others to bless him. Sometimes we get so sufficient. You know how humbling that must have been if you are the richest man of your time. And then all of a sudden you're reduced to complete poverty. And you're dependent on the charity of all of your family and all of your friends. And did he buck up and say, no, I won't take nothing from you? No. He received it. And that was just one way God wanted to bless. Some of us are so wired to bless others that we just think, but I don't need to be blessed because I'm blessing others. And Job had been in that position where he was never in need before. He had always been the blessor, not the blessee, other than from God. But no man, no woman, had he had never had a need of anyone before. Talk about the guy who has everything. You know, Christmas was tough trying to find something. No, they didn't have it then. So that was okay. But it was tough. But he was able to transition. He was able to say, you know, that's past. The boils are gone. My children aren't coming back, but I know where they are. I know I'm going to see them again. That's the only thing, you know, he didn't get 20 more kids. He got 10 more because he had 20 kids. 10 he was with then, and 10 he knew he'd see again. And God blessed him because he was able not only to forgive, but he was able to embrace God's blessing and move forward in his life. He was not, we, you know, we often think of Job, when we think of Job, we think of tragedy and suffering. But the Bible says he lived another 140 years. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think the people that saw him in that last 140 years defined Job by his suffering. I don't think they defined him by his low points. I think they saw him as a man who was full of joy and blessed by God. And if there's something, a hang-up, an unforgiveness, a wound, whatever you want to call it, look, you're not hurting that other person 
or people or circumstance by holding on to it. It's simply hurting you. And so I want to encourage you like Job. If you've had just the tiniest bit of his experience and you've been hurt to move forward, to follow his example so you can enjoy all that God has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. God, you are so gracious. And though none of us can really swap stories with Job, we, we all feel this connection because we all know what it's like to be down and then we know what it's like for you to reach down and to lift us up. God, let us accept your grace and let us extend it to others. Let us be people of forgiveness, people who do not carry the weight of old wounds. But let us embrace forgiveness and love and joy and peace as you have called us to do and as you have equipped us to do through your Holy Spirit. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.